How's everyone? Tonight we are going to begin the shortest book in the Old Testament. That is the book of Obadiah. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up. <clears throat> Obadiah is only 21 verses, so it should only not take me longer than two or three months for us to go through it. Uh, it divides into two parts. The first part is accusations against Edom. And the second part is the day of the Lord coming against all nations. Now, it's interesting because there's a lot of significance in the foreshadowing in the, in the prophecy, the prophecy of, of Obadiah and the message to Edom. We want to remember who Edom is. Edom is Esau. Edom is a son of Abraham, part of the family of Jacob, together with Jacob. And they maintain some level of, uh, what, what do you call it, dysfunctional family dynamics uh, throughout history until the Babylonian conquest. And in the Babylonian conquest, the Edomites took up arms against their brother, cousin, second cousin, twice removed. And they, in taking up arms against them, uh, worked with the enemies against the nation, against their own kin. And their primary sin, the primary sin that God has against Edom is that of pride and self-exaltation. Now, there's a play on words and a reason why the Lord uses the phrase Edom, because Edom in the Hebrew is really not any different than Adam. So you have kind of a, a foreshadowing in the prophecy that you're dealing with Edom and God's prophecy against Edom, but in the second half, you're dealing with God's judgment of all the nations, and you see in that judgment, in the, in the list of of accusations, if you will, against them, the same problem that you have with mankind. The, probably the, the biggest uh, uh, area of offense between man and God is that of pride and self-exaltation. So you have this in the background of the prophecy Obadiah gave to a real people in Edom who were guilty of, of fighting against their own brethren. God says, Basically, the, the same that you have done is going gonna, is gonna to come back to you. That's, that's ultimately God's judgment. It sounds very much like what we will eventually read in Matthew when the Lord says, uh, when you did it unto the least of these, your brethren, you did it unto me. Or when you did it not to the least of these, my brethren, you did it not unto me. You have a very similar <coughs> vein in that judgment in the family of Edom. But the Bible, so often we think about the Old Testament, and particularly the, the minor prophets and the major prophets, as being books about judgment, and they are, about God's judgment being poured out on rebellion, uh, both in Israel and the world. But in every judgment, it's like when Jesus would 
speak about his death on the cross. He never spoke about his death on the cross without speaking about his resurrection. When God speaks about his judgment, he also speaks in that same way about the, the promises of, that God will pour out on his people that have the, the remnant, the right relationship, those who return to him. So you have two groups of people throughout the prophets, the rebellious and the remnant. The remnant are those who by faith, even in the midst of a perverse generation, follow God. And the rebellious are those who will never repent or don't repent and continue in their rebellion against God. And they are always those who go into judgment and the remnant are those who are carried through. So the remnant are those who go to Babylon and then later come back to Israel to, to rebirth the nation after the exile. And the same thing, when we look at God speaking about judgment and ultimately the day of the Lord where God judges the world, you don't have God ever speak about the judgment of the world without also him speaking about the redemption of the remnant. And it lays out before us just like Solomon did with the book of Proverbs. There's two paths you can walk. A path of rebellion that leads to death and the path of the remnant that leads to life. One is a path of pride and self-exaltation. The other is a path of faith and trust in God. That's the difference. And throughout the scripture, I know sometimes we study the scripture and we're like, oh my gosh, there's another prophet after this prophet. And there is. And there's another one after that. We're almost to the end of the Old Testament, but as we work our way through, there's going to be several. And the thing that we want to hold on to in all of those times where they're, where they're laying out their prophecies is the promise that, yes, God will judge the quick and the dead, right? Scripture declares that. And God will save the remnant and he will punish the wicked. And that's a message we need to, rem we need to remember. That's why the Bible repeats it so much. Because it's necessary for us to, to hold on to it. Now, just by way of example of what I'm talking about, we've been going through the last three, <clears throat> the last three books, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. And at the end of each book, the, the, the silver lining or God's promise to the remnant is laid out in each one. We learned in Joel, God will save Jerusalem and all who call on the name of the Lord. Now, that should sound familiar because you have that very same sentiment echoed in Romans 11. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? You have it echoed in Romans 10, really throughout the book of Romans and throughout the New Testament. You have that same idea. In the book of Amos, we're reminded that God will raise up the failed house of David. The house of David failed. The promise of God was David was a faithful man. There would never cease to be a king sitting on the throne of David. And in the exile, there was no king. But God fulfills that promise how? Through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the once and future king, right? And he is seated on the throne today, right? And he rules and reigns as king today. But there will be a day his feet will touch the earth, right? And we will see his face. Job said, I know my redeemer lives 
And I, with these eyes, I will see God. So he, he knew that there would be <clears throat> that truth. God said in Amos, I'll raise up the fallen house of David and all nations will submit to my rule. To, to my rule. All nations. What's the, what does the Bible declare to us? How many tribes and tongues, how many knees will bow? How many tongues will confess? Right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? So you have this same promise. that You have the idea of God, God's judgment lined up with his salvation for the remnant. All nations. Now, we sometimes, when we think of all nations, I think we think of it wrongly. We think of it in terms of nation, national issues. And the word nation in, in Hebrew is the word goyim. And goyim is just another word for Gentile. It's anybody who's not a Jew. So everybody outside of Israel was goyim, the nations. And all the nations are brought into a relationship with God through whom? Jesus Christ, right? For there is now neither Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. All are one in Christ, entering into that relationship in Christ. And so we see <clears throat> the fulfillment of these promises kind of already experienced in the gift we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, looking forward to the day he returns. Amen? And so we see the same promise in Amos and in Obadiah. The promise will be left with is restoration of God's kingdom over Jerusalem and all the goyim, all the nations. Together, one kingdom, together, all under Christ. So these promises are always going to follow the concept of judgment. So God is the judge, right? And he ultimately is going to perform that duty, <clears throat> and in Obadiah, I want you to see Edom, locally, the message is directly to Edom. If we back up, the message includes a message of judgment to the world, right? To all who are filled with pride and self-exaltation, because God will judge that pride and self-exaltation. You guys heard of Nebuchadnezzar, right? You remember his problem with pride and self-exaltation? What about Uzziah? Remember King Uzziah? He was a good king until he started to think about how good he was. And then he became a man full of pride and exaltation. Did God judge him? Yes. Why does the Bible repeat these stories to us over and over again? Because we don't learn. The, sh the short answer is we're knuckleheads. And we need to be reminded often. So let's take a look. Who is Obadiah? We may ask the question. Well, I'm going to give you the short answer. Who is Obadiah? Nobody really knows. There's, there's three possibilities. There's probably four. There's three times Obadiah is talked about in Scripture. So he may have been one of those who hid the 100 prophets in the caves and took care of them that we read about in 1 Kings 18, 3 and 4. It says, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them by fifties in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. Now, it's like today. Could it be the same Obadiah? Maybe, but there was more than one guy named Obadiah. Herein lies 
the issue. There was an Obadiah, one of the princes of Jehoshaphat, who was sent to teach in the cities of Judah. We read about that in 2 Chronicles 17. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. <clears throat> and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. It's possible that, that this is the Obadiah. Uh, you also have a man, Josiah, appointed to repair the temple in the, in the um, uh, revival under Josiah. In 2 Chronicles 34, we read about that. And the men did the work faithfully, and over them was set Jahath and Obadiah the Levites. Maybe that's a, the, the fourth possibility is one that is not named in the Bible. <laughs> so it is, it is possible. It was, a, it was a popular name of the time. But let's take a look. What was his vision? Look at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. So we don't have to wonder who this prophecy is to. It's to Edom, the nation of Edom, the offspring of Esau, going back to the battle between Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. He says, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Now hold your finger there and go to Jeremiah 49. And I'm just going to read Jeremiah's prophecy against Edom because there are parallels between the two. So you have parallels between what Jeremiah says about Edom and what Obadiah says, similar phrases that, that you may recognize as we continue through. Jeremiah 49, beginning at verse 7, says, Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Timon? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring calamity, the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. <coughs> Excuse me, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places so he cannot conceal himself. His children are destroyed and his brothers, his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive. Let your widows trust in me. For thus says the Lord, if those who did not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a whore, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual waste. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. That's the phrase we just read, right? Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among my, mankind. <clears throat> the horror you inspire has deceived you. The pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord." Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and hiss because of all its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man will dwell there, no man will sojourn there. Behold, like a lion coming from the jungle of Jordan against a perennial pasture. 
I will suddenly make him run away from her. I will appoint over her whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who will summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Therefore, hear the plan the Lord has made against Edom and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock will be dragged away. Surely the fold shall be appalled at their fate. And the sound of their fall in the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up and fly swiftly like an eagle, spread his wings against Basra, <clears throat> and the heart of the warriors of Edom shall in that day be like a woman, the heart of a woman in her birth pains. So in verse 1 of Obadiah, he says, I have sent the messengers to gather the nations. So the idea is that the Lord is calling the nations to be the tool of judgment against Edom, where Edom had joined with the nations in their judgment against, in God's judgment against Israel. Now God is going to use the same judgment against Edom, and he's going to gather them. Uh, he says in Obadiah verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you will be utterly despised. Same phrase we saw in Jeremiah. I'm going to make you small. Now, one of the issues of Edom was their pride. They were so stoked about all they had done. A lot of times, people will attribute to the Edomites the city of Petra and, and cities like Petra, that you lived in the cleft of the rock. You carved yourself into the rock. You're so proud of this kingdom that you have made. Same phrase that Nebuchadnezzar used, right? Look at the kingdom that I have made. Well, this is their attitude. So he says, I'll make you small, and I'm going to make you hated. And you'll be hated among the nations. Now, when we look at the phrase hated, a lot of times, I think people uh, make a mistake, and we say things like, well, when the Lord talks about hating, he really means he loves you less. Well, when he, when he talks about hating, really, love and hate are Hebrew idioms for chosen and not chosen. So God chose Israel. Now, what did God choose Israel for? To bring the blessing of Messiah to the world. When God chose Israel, that means he didn't choose everybody else. So everybody else is not chosen. In Malachi, you have this phrase used. <clears throat> I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet? Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. God chose Jacob, right? It was not, didn't have nothing to do with Jacob. Jacob was holier or better or better looking or he had some special deal. No, it, the choice was God's. God chose Jacob for what? He chose Jacob to be the lineage through which Messiah, the blessing, the seed that was to come to all the world that would bring salvation to the globe to come through Jacob. And God has a right to choose it. Does that mean Esau is forever lost and could never, there could never be salvation in the family of Esau because they're not chosen for that? This is not the choosing of for salvation. This is a choosing of to bring forth Messiah. <coughs> at the beginning, as we look at, as we look at the pictures, what, what the scripture would lay out for us is that the Messiah is going to come through Israel and then he is going to 
under his banner and under his name unite every tribe, nation, and tongue under the banner of salvation in Jesus Christ. Every nation. Israel too. And everybody else, right? Being called to that place of salvation. And so when the Lord is saying here, look, I, I've, I'm going to make you hated. He's telling Edom, look, you're going to be hated by the nations. They're, those who helped you are going to turn their back on you. And they're going to do to you what they did to someone else. If you go out into the parking lot tonight and you gossip with someone about someone else, when they leave you, they're going to go somewhere else and gossip about you. Because that's the nature of man. That's what man does. Now, the Bible tells us how to behave about that, right? The Bible says don't be a hearer of gossip. It tells you not to be a tale bearer either, but sometimes people can't stop bearing tales. <clears throat> so the Bible gives us the flip side. Don't be a listener. Don't put wood in the fire. And part of the reason, eventually that's going to be you. Edom joined with the world against Israel, and then the world joined together against Edom. You get the idea? And so the, and the Lord is saying, this is my judgment you're going to have what happens to you what you did to them is what's going to happen to you the same things that you did why verse three the pride of your heart has deceived you so you actually think you're better than them have you ever had those thoughts you look at somebody and say well at least i'm not like them and the lord says look your, your pride has deceived you you think you're better he says, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who can bring me down? We're at the top. You know, we're, we're all powerful. I can't hardly go through any of these prophets and not see us. So I know he's not talking to us. I know this is not a, a prophecy directed toward the United States. But I will tell you this, pattern is prophecy. Pattern is prophecy. When, when nations are swelled up with pride and arrogance and self-exaltation, there comes a time of God's judgment upon that nation. And that's why all these things look so familiar, because we see the pattern replay over and over and over again. As we see kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, just like the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Head of gold, chest of silver, you guys remember? Nation falls into nation. They all have one thing in common. They don't stay. All the kingdoms, governments, and man crumble until what? The kingdom of God comes, and that kingdom will be eternal. So we see this pattern laid out, and, and so we can see the pattern. We're not Edom, but we can see the pattern in, in perhaps in our own nation, in the same attitude. Who could possibly take us down? I don't know if anybody says that anymore, but <clears throat> I know we have, you know, who could bring us down? We're, we're on the top. We're the top of the food chain. But they were deceived by their own pride. Two examples I already shared with you. I won't jump into it tonight. Uzziah in Chronicles, who thought he would take upon himself the authority of a priest, though he was the king, and he wants to offer a sacrifice in the temple, which was not his right to do. And God struck him with leprosy. And then he spends the rest of his, of his kingship as the leper king. He's also the one that says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord 
high and lifted up. Uzziah was a very, very popular king, but he was best when he was small. When he started thinking about how great he was, he kind of got in his own way. And again, Nebuchadnezzar, the same way. These examples of being deceived by your own pride. They're also deceived by the culture they live in. We live high up in the rocks. We're the top of the world. The attitude that they had around them. And they're also deceived by their own might. Who could bring us down? <coughs> Who could possibly defeat us? And so this is the attitude, this, this pride that the Lord is speaking of. Now in verse 4 he says, Though you soar like, a, like an eagle, though your nest is set in the stars. So the Lord is saying, oh, you're high, you're way up there. You're all the way up in the stars. But from there I will bring you down. Who raises up kings? God. Does he judge nations? Yes. Every single prophet has what is called the oracle of the nations, which is oracles of judgment against the nations. And almost always, I, want, I would say always, but I'm not totally sure. So I'm going to give you an almost always. Those judgments are predicated on how they treat their neighbor. And the distinction, the difference is Israel is judged based on how they treat God and their relationship with God. And the nations are judged on how they treat their neighbor. So you, you, still see, uh, you still see the concept, right, of the law being fulfilled in loving God and loving people in God's judgment, even there of the nation. So it's the Lord who will bring them down. Verse 5, if thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed would they not steal only enough for themselves? It's almost exactly, if you remember, it's almost exactly what we read in Jeremiah. If gate gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? <clears throat> How Esau has been pillaged. His treasures have been sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. And they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Because they're disillusioned or deceived by their own trust of the other wicked people they were joined together with. Why is it that the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever? Why, why would it tell us that? People ask me all the time, well, does this mean not to be unequally yoked in business? Does this mean not to be unequally yoked in marriage? I think it just means don't be unequally yoked because someone who is not governed by God and wanting to be obedient to his word, you guys, you guys know, you and I, we know as believers, we struggle with doing the right thing sometimes, right? Well, what about somebody who has no relationship with God? What are they governed by? At least with a believer, you have a chance that they're listening to the Holy Spirit, right? But if you're joined together with, with the unbeliever, there's... You, this is what's happening. The nations are turning against you. The same way you joined them and turned against Israel. <clears throat> so we see this same issue coming forth. In Psalm 83, here's what the Lord would declare. Oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. 
Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured one. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. You get the idea? Lot, that's the nephew of Abraham. Once upon a time, they were together, right? Abraham and Lot, and they were they were going where God was showing Abraham to go, and, and Lot was being blessed because of the relationship that he had with Abraham because he was there with Abraham. But there came a day, right, when they lifted up their eyes, and Abraham says, we're, we're going to have to go apart. We have to split up. <coughs> and Lot lifted up his eyes and ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So you have the promise here that... And when we think about national Israel and we think about the world, I also want you to realize when we look at those parts, national Israel is birthed from the goyim, right? Noah was not Israelite, right? <clears throat> there was no Israelite in, this is not a trick question, no Israelites in Genesis 7. So, but he's a picture of the remnant by faith being, being carried through, right? And, and through him, the Israelite nation is going to be born just like Abraham. What was Abraham? He's a Gentile, right? And God said to Abraham, Genesis 12, come and I will make a nation out of you. And what's the Bible say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And so he followed him. And so God makes his own special people and he builds the nation of Israel, and then he says, if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. If you curse Israel, I'll curse you. We, we're seeing some of that fruit right here as we're looking at this scripture. And so you, you have this reality laid out in, in national Israel, but through that national Israel is going to be birthed the Messiah who's going to bring salvation to all the nations. And then once again, under the banner of Christ, you can have one people, the saved. All of Israel will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In, in Romans chapter 11, you have one tree, right? Uh, um, national Israel, in a sense, is cut off, but there's a promise of them being regrafted in, right? And the Gentiles have been grafted in, the wild, all of one tree. Both together, one tree under the banner of Christ. This incredible promise of what God's going to do. But here the Lord is saying in Psalm 83, the Lord is saying this. Listen, it's not about nations or boundaries. It's about how you treat my kids. Now, in this case, we're talking about the nation of Israel and how Edom mistreated the nation of Israel. Okay? What are we talking about when we get to Revelation chapter 6? Revelation chapter 6 we're looking at the martyrs beneath the throne. What do they say to the Lord? How long, O oh Lord, till you judge the people for what they did to us? Does it matter to God how his people are treated by the rebellious? And will there be a day to answer for it? 
And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's laying out for us in, in Psalm 83. They're like the children of Lot. They all have the, the opportunity or the hope, I guess would be a better way to put it, the hope of being under the banner of Christ. But in their rebelliousness, they become like Lot. Related, but outside. Make sense? And so, anyways, the, their disillusion because they expected better the, of the treaties, but their treaties they didn't fulfill. Look at verse 8. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, <coughs> destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. You can't stand against the Lord on the day of judgment, right? I think we've all read Revelation 6 through 19. And the question is asked, who can stand against the wrath of the Lamb? And the answer is, nobody. <laughs> nobody stands against the wrath of God, right? Except for the redeemed. But they're not under wrath, right? They're standing beside Christ. So we look at this, he's like, you guys aren't going to be able to stand on the day when God's judgment is poured out. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Now, God brought official judgment from Babylon <coughs> to Jerusalem. But God never told Edom to get involved. So God holds Edom responsible for joining in the battle against their brother. He holds them responsible for how they have treated their own family. Because they're related. Right? Right? These are sons of Abraham, ultimately, right? They come from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they have become part of that rebellious family, and so they find themselves under judgment uh, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. So they're going to be covered with shame, and they're going to be cut off. Cut off, cut off is, a, is the death penalty, when the Bible says you're going to be cut off, that you're cut off from your people, it's talking about death. <clears throat> the judgment is ultimately going to be physical death. And so he goes on in verse 12. He says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Here's the charges, specific charges he's going to lay out to Edom. What did they do? Do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Don't celebrate when someone else comes under judgment. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Don't rejoice because someone is, it's not something to celebrate when someone else has been judged uh, by God. So don't, the Lord says, don't celebrate that. <clears throat> Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. So they entered the gate. They joined the enemies and came in and became a part of the calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. They're like pointing and laughing. Ha, huh? Israel thought they were so high and mighty, but look at him now. Do not gloat. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. So the Lord said, don't, don't take their stuff. Do not stand at the cross. 
is the Jews who escaped and got out of the city, Edom captured and brought back to the to the um, to Babylon. So the Lord's like, "What are you doing? Your brother just ran to you for shelter. Don't turn him in." Has man ever done stuff like this before? Like we see these same things in history, right? Think about Germany. I mean, I'm sure there were neighbors turning in neighbors just to just so they could keep a good name and and look good to the others who were who were persecuting the Jewish people, right? And you see the same thing here. The Lord says, don't loot his wealth. Don't stand in the crossroads and cut off the fugitive. Do not hand over survivors on the day of their distress. So they were people who escaped. They were turning in. And so God says, look, here is what you are being judged for. You responded happily to Israel's captivity. You rejoiced over Israel's judgment. You re reacted in pride when Israel was in distress. <coughs> you robbed them <clears throat> on the day of their calamity. You refused to help the afflicted. You resisted Israel's attempt to escape. And you returned them to their captives. So these are the judgments that God's going to lay out against Edom. And judgment will befall from God. God's going to judge the nation of Edom. But we're going to look in the next half of the book next week or, or a week after. I don't know. But as we look at it, I think next week's our prayer time. But we'll look at the next half of the book. And that's going to now kind of zoom back and talk about the day of the Lord with the same kind of attitude. What is it that the Lord says, right? When he's, when he's talking in Matthew 24 about the, the coming judgment on the nation of Israel. And he's discussing those things. And he's laying out for us pattern. Pattern which we're going to see prophetically for the future. And then you see the judgment of the sheep and the goats. How does the judgment of the sheep and the goats look? When you fed him who was hungry, you fed me. When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Now, in this case, we're talking about specifically the nation of Israel. But perhaps in Matthew 25, we're talking about the relationship with with all those who come under the umbrella of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe because we have the, the martyrs, right, in Revelation chapter 6, that kind of a picture. But <clears throat> regardless as to which way it, it works, the pattern is still there, right? How you treat the people of God matters. How you treat those that God has his hand on. And, um, and, and it matters to God. And so we see this first to Edom, and next time we take a look at Obadiah, we'll see now kind of a global look moving forward to the final promise of God's salvation for the remnant. Amen? Make sense? Anybody confused, feel free to hit me up, and I'll confuse you more. I do have the gift. Uh, I don't know if it's a gift but uh, I'd be happy to, to share some of those things with you. Let's go before the Lord and uh, just ask his blessing. Father God, we thank you for who you are and what you have done, how, what you provide for us. I thank you, God, that um, just one of the beautiful things that I see in the word is 
this reality, God, that we see patterns repeated. The four horsemen of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation don't only happen in the book of Revelation. We see the judgment of war, pestilence, famine, and death laid out from one nation to another when you bring judgment. And that pattern, that matters to us. It kind of sets before us the concept that these things have a future fulfillment in mind. I just am blown away at the cohesiveness of your word and how your word makes these declarations that we can hold on to. And we know that we know that God is the one who will judge the wicked and who will save the faithful. And the faithful are those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, we're just thankful for who you are, for what you've done. And we ask, Lord, that you help us as we study the scriptures, open our eyes. As we spend time, Lord, I pray that our ideas are challenged. And when they're challenged, we want to study the word and show ourselves approved. A workman of God, a student of the word of God, who's, who's taken the time to rightly comprehend, to divide the things that the word is declaring. So, Lord, we thank you for this time we could spend together. And we just ask for your blessing in and through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.